I've titled this message today, What Are You Running After? What is it that you're chasing after? The theme that I have, our verse that we've been doing is uh, James 4 a, come close to God and God will do what? Let's just all say that together. Come close to God and God will come close to you. So how many of you realize that the word come is a verb, it requires an action, am I right? So if I were to say, come up here, uh, what would you have to do? All right, so if I had $20 and I said, come up here, and whoever gets up here first gets it, what would you do? Yeah? Nobody's feeling it, huh? Well, if you're a first up here. See, you guys didn't think I was going to give $20 away, did you? Or else you would have done what? You would have come up here, right? You got, do you think you could have beat Ginger up here if I, you knew you could get it? Yes. Absolutely. Well, I don't have 20 more dollars, so I'm sorry. So, so the question again, okay, here. No, I don't have nothing else, sorry. <laughs> so my question is, what are you running after? Because the reality, all of us are running somewhere. And, uh, and the question is, what is it that drives you to doing something? Like I said, uh, uh, you know, who would come up here? Nobody came up here until, until there was a motivation to actually come up here. All right? Nobody came up here. So I want to talk about this word a little bit, uh, ambition. We, we understand ambition, and it's a good thing in one sense. It's a strong desire to do or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. So if I had $1,000 up here and I said the first one up here to get it, uh, who would be fighting over themselves? Like, there'd probably be some tackling going on, all right? And it's like, that's not what we're doing in church, so I'm not offering. I saw somebody lean over here, but uh, <laughs> that would be your motivation, right? Oh, man, I'm going to get that. So, so another word for ambition is goals. We have goals in life. Anybody have goals? You want to accomplish things? Maybe you can call it your mission, my calling, this is my purpose. Those are the things uh, that motivate me to get up every morning to do whatever it is that I need to do, right? If you have none of that, then that's not a good thing. So uh, ambition can be a good thing. How do you know uh, if we add one word to it, then it can turn bad? If you add selfish ambition, right? How many of you know that's not a good thing? Here's the definition of uh, selfish ambition. Uh, It is focused on you and your wants and your desires. It centers on what you can get from a person, place, thing, or situation. Selfish ambition thinks of your needs, your wants, your desires above others and above God. So that's not a good thing. We get how bad that is, am I right? Like, you don't have to explain it. We live in a very selfish world. Would you guys agree? Everybody's looking out for themselves. Everything revolves around me. It's got to be. And so there's a motto that has been around uh, at least for a few years, and some of you guys may have heard it. You do you, and I'll do me. How many of you have heard that before? Oh, you do you. Well, you ought to, no, no, I'm just going to do me. You do you. And and let me just say on a certain level, I do understand it because none of us are cookie cutters right, of each other. Everybody's got different giftings. Everybody's got different personalities. So uh, we all do things a little bit different. So I do understand that. But can I say the downside of this motto, you do you and you do me, is that you're like, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it doesn't matter. I don't care how it affects anybody else. 
I'm just going to live my life because that's me. That's how I like to do it. So uh, let me just give you a couple scenarios and see how this would play out in, uh, in your life. So if you're married, and let me just say women, uh, and, you, and your husband tells you, you know what, I'm just going to do me. I'm not going to be home till probably after two because I'm going to hang out with the guys at the bar tonight. Maybe I'll be home around three or four in the morning because that's me. You know, I'm just doing me. Uh, how many, how, would that fly with anyone? Yeah, I don't see any hands. Like, oh, Daniel, put your hand down. You're not, a, first of all, you're not a woman. So uh, uh, I'm just doing me. Come on. What about if you go to work, right? And, uh, and you're like, oh, I got hired as a cook here. And, uh, you know, you're doing, this is my job. This is what I do. This is me. And they say, hey, listen, somebody needs to go clean the toilet. I need you to go clean the toilet. Oh, that's not me, man. I'm just doing me. I don't do that. Right? I, how many of you know that that's a real deal today? Right? Oh, that's not my job. I'm not called it. I'm just doing me. How long will you be employed? Not long, right? How about in a grocery store? You're in there, and anybody notice how costly food is these days? Right? And you're like, I'm not paying that amount. So you've got a big pocket here, and you just kind of slide it down in there. I'm just doing me because I don't pay that amount of money for it. Like, is that going to fly? Oh, no, not so well. Even as a believer, even as a follower of Christ, you know, we have to put on Christ. We have to put on a certain thing. We have to walk in forgiveness. Isn't that true? But you say, you know what, as a believer, uh, and, and my wife had this little meme, it said half hood and half believer. How many of you know you can't do half and half? You can't say, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm a believer. But if somebody says something or does something to me, when I'm doing me, I got to tell that person off. They're going to get a piece of my mind. I'm going to share something with them. That doesn't work well. You're not representing Christ that way. So here's the bottom line. If you doing you ends up hurting somebody else, guess what? You lose. And not only that, maybe you're doing something, you're like, hey, nobody else is being hurt by this. But if you doing you is in direct contrast to the word of God, how many of you know you lose? All right, we have to do Christ. Think about this. There are, there are many people in our world today, and this phrase cracks me up. I'm just trying to find myself. Anybody ever hear that? <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, if you haven't even found out who you are, how can you ever even do you? So forget about finding yourself. Find Jesus. Amen? Amen. You, how many of you realize selfish ambition is a word uh, that describes our sinful nature? Like in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about when you follow the desires of your sinful nature. And then Paul lists off all kinds of things, sexual immorality, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, all of these things. But right smack in the middle of it is selfish ambition, right? And you're like, well, I didn't think it was that bad. But he goes on to say, if you're living that sort of life, you're not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Uh, maybe we had to think about that again. And here's the deal. Even in church, you realize believers, preachers can have selfish ambitions. Paul makes this statement in Philippians 1.17. He's talking about people that are preaching Christ. He goes, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerity. Can I tell you, nobody's exempt from having selfish ambition. We got to keep ourselves in check on that. My ambition must be rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen. Amen? He's got to be my motivation. And, uh, and I remembered this uh, quote from St. Patrick. 
you know, St. Patrick's Day is coming up in, what, a month and a half or so. And just in case you didn't know it, St. Patrick did not drink green beer. I know we've turned St. Patrick's Day into some kind of alcoholic brouhaha that's going on. Uh, St. Patrick was a godly man. He wasn't even Irish, as a matter of fact. You read, if, you, if you don't know the story about him, he's pretty inspirational. But here's his quote, and I believe it's on his ambition. He said this, Christ within me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the, I love this, in the heart of every man who thinks of me, right? How many people at St. Patrick's Day are thinking, oh, St. Patrick's Day, you're not thinking about Christ, you're thinking about your next chug, right? Uh, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Isn't that good? See, uh, St. Patrick wasn't just saying, hey, you do you and I'll do me. No, he says, uh, I'll just do Jesus, right? I'm going to do Jesus. That's who I'm going to do. Because every time I do me, how many of you know I get in trouble, right? Every time I do me, I choose the wrong path. Every time I do me, it gets me into uh, situations I don't need to be. So I need to do Jesus. I need him to be my motivation in life. Amen. The opposite of ambition is apathy, a lack of interest or concern. And uh, let me just say, and I'll explain it, this can be good or bad as well. You realize that? So if you just simply have a lack of interest or concern about something, uh, that's not a bad thing. And I used my wife in the first service, so I'm going to do it again, but my wife is very apathetic when it comes to sports. Is that a shocker to anybody? She, she barely knows the names of any of the teams that are there. And if you try to start putting out players' names, she has no idea who you're talking about. She's so apathetic. She doesn't care. You know, even if I've got an exciting game on, like the Cowboys, right, that are out. I know they're out. But uh, uh, she's doing something else. You know, I don't care. And in the same way, I'm very apathetic when it comes to the Kardashians. Right? Got an amen on that. Like, here's the reality. I don't even know how many of them there are. Right? It's like, oh, the who? First of all, I don't care. Right? I don't care who they're dating. I don't care what they're doing. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, same thing about the Bachelor or the Bachelorette or the old person Bachelor or whatever was on. I don't care who gets a flower or any of that stuff. Uh, I'm just apathetic about it. Actually, I got a little attitude about it, but I, I don't care about it, right? <laughs> but here's the deal. Apathy with your own life and your relationship with God, that's a problem, right? When you have no drive, no push, oh, there's the Bible, Meh. That's the Bible. I, I guess I could read it. Nah, I'm not going to read it. You know what? I, I'd rather go drink some coffee or something. If you have no reason that, that pushes you towards Christ, that's not a healthy place. And, and even if there is good reason to get up, uh, an apath apathetic person isn't going to do things necessary to move forward. We need to have Christ as our motivation to get us out of our apathy. But can I say at the same time, if you have ambition and something else is driving you other than Christ, uh, then we need to change. We got to realize, hey, listen, I'm chasing things just for myself. I got to keep my eyes on him. Amen. Amen. So here's the thing. Uh, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, it's kind of an interesting book. 
King Solomon had all the money, had all the power, everything that he could possibly do. And he set out on a quest to pursue everything in life and see what would bring him fulfillment. So in chapter one, he, he basically says uh, uh, quite a bit, not super optimistic, uh, but in verse 14, he made this statement. I observed everything going on under the sun and really it is all meaningless like chasing the wind. Anybody ever chase wind? <laughs> like that, 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 what am I doing? You know, I'm just out here. People are running. And uh, I've got a video that I, that I want to show as we think about it because, do we have that over there? Okay. Uh, this, is my, this was my thought as I was praying over this message. This is people in our world, they're just chasing after so many different things. And if we can yeah, do it without sound. Uh, King Solomon talked about the futility of pleasure. I can chase and I can get all this. How many of you would like to drive in that traffic right there? All right, that was kind of my envision. That's people in this world. We're chasing after so many different things and, you know, getting in everybody's way and I'm going this way and you're going that way and I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to cut in front of you. And uh, it's just all these things. And Solomon's saying, listen, if you're going after pleasure uh, or if you're going after work, if work is your main thing and you're trying to get ahead of everybody else, the injustices of life, he talks about the futility of political power, uh, of wealth. If you're just pursuing wealth, uh, how many of you realize the love, those that love money, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to get there. So many people are chasing after all of those things, running after them only to get to the destination and find it empty. It's nothing there. So he concludes the whole book of uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, I'm going to try all this. I'm going to try that. Nothing came. So he ends up closing towards the end in chapter 12. He goes, that's the whole story. I've chased everything. I've been all over the map. I've run everywhere. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. All right. He goes, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. That's what I need to do. Okay. I don't want to be apathetic. And my ambition, I want my ambition to be focused on God. I want God to be the one that stirs me. Or else I can realize in my life, all I'm doing is chasing wind. Anybody ever chase wind? And you're like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? Why am I pursuing this only to get to the end of it and realize it's still just as empty as my life was before? Until I allow Christ to be the one that I look after, that I focus on. I want to look at a verse that may be quite familiar with you, Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is Jesus speaking, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want to give it out of the New Living Translation. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So uh, part of drawing close to God is making sure that my compass is set right. How many of you know if you use a compass, it points you in the right direction? So uh, I've got a compass up here, and, and if we're going to follow God, my needle of my life has to be focused on God's kingdom. I've got to begin to pursue Him. If I start looking towards pleasure, oh, I just want to, you know, where's the next party, right? Or where, you know, what's going to make me happy? And you just kind of surround you. Oh, I got to get me a boat. I got to get me this. I got to buy that. If you're just seeking pleasure, can you realize you can't pursue pleasure and seek God's kingdom at the same time? 
right? How about work? Well, there's nothing wrong with work. Please, it's good to have a job. Uh, but I, can I tell you, if that's my only goal in life, if I've just put my sights on getting ahead of everything, uh, again, and I've met many people that have put work ahead of God. How many of you have found, fallen into that trap before, right? My work, my work, I got to do this, I got to do that. And, and where's God's kingdom at? Or whether it's wealth, whatever it is, anything that takes our eyes off of the kingdom only ends up in the wrong direction. And you're ending up for a crash eventually. So uh, I want to break this verse down a little bit, Matthew 6, 33. And, and we're just going to start with the first one that he says, and that is to seek. So tips on keeping your compass on Jesus. He says, seek first, right? Seeking is an active verb as well. Here's uh, the breakdown in the Greek. It means to desire. So if I'm seeking something, it means it's something I desire. I'm looking for. I've set my sights on. Uh, here's the thing. Greek verbs can be a little more complex sometimes than, uh, than the English verbs because if I seek something, like anybody like me and you misplace your keys at times, am I the only one? I know Joshua. Where's your hand up? Him and I are good at it. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. Once you find your keys, do you keep seeking them? No, that would be ridiculous, right? Something would be seriously wrong with you if you keep... What, what are you looking for? My keys. Where are they? They're in my hand, but I'm still looking for them. But he, this is what this verb is saying. He, it's a command, first of all, but it's an ongoing active verb. That means you seek, but you keep on seeking. What, uh, when, you're, when you're never going to get to this place in, in, in your life where you're like, hey, I found the kingdom of heaven and all the dimensions and all the aspects of God's kingdom, I found it. No, all of your life, you're going to keep seeking because that is just how it is. Seeking, it's active, it's present. Do you realize even if you seek the kingdom of God, you're still not going to discover all the dynamics of the kingdom, especially in one, in one time seeking the Lord. You're not going to see all the ins and outs of God's kingdom. You're not going to understand all the different aspects. Uh, there are principles that operate in God's kingdom that don't operate on this earth. You're not going to learn all of that at just one time. We have to keep seeking. We have to keep, maybe a better word to say, exploring. So once you get there, it's like, oh man, I want to explore. I want to see all that there is about God's kingdom. And it's kind of like if you've ever been to another country, another nation. How many of you have been in something other than the United States? How many of you have been to like a third world country? All right, look at all the hands. Now listen, I'm not talking, if you go to the United Kingdom, uh, that's not a whole lot different than America other than they drive on the wrong side of the road, right, and talk a little funny. Uh, but other than that, it's like, it's not really that different, but if you end up, you know, I've been to two different places in the Philippines and I'm not talking about Manila. I'm talking like out in the bush Philippines. Uh, it's different, right? I've been to Haiti before. It's very different. It's not the same as what's going on in the United States. So you have to learn different customs, don't you? You have to learn that they do things. You can't get in there and say, well, I can do this cause I'm an American, how many of you know there's a problem there? All right, first of all, they're not going to like you. Uh, but, but the reality is we have to understand other, other countries and other kingdoms have different principles and the way they do things than the way we do it here. Uh, amen? Right? So you're not going to discover it all. It's an ongoing, just like seeking after God. He says this in Jeremiah uh, 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And he says, I will be found by you, 
declares the Lord. But again, that word seeking, you find, how many of you realize when you're seeking Jesus, it's not like, oh man, I lost him. Where did I put Jesus at? All right. No, you're not losing him, but you're still seeking him even when you find him. And the more that you begin to seek him, the more you begin to discover who he is, how much he loves you, all of those dimensions. And I love this verse because it really kind of explains it out of Ephesians. It says, and may you have the power to understand. How many of you know understanding is up here in our mind? All right. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is for us. We should have that understanding, right? But then he goes on to say, and may you experience. So that's not head knowledge, is it? When you experience, God wants us to experience his love. Amen? Uh, So may you experience God's love, though it is too great to understand fully. Right? There may be things you experience, but you don't understand it. Like, I don't always understand, like, how in the world does, you know, you think about radio waves and it's coming in. And I mean, today I can listen to the Bible playing and it's not even connected to anything and it's coming through my car. Uh, whatever it is, it's like, I don't really understand all that technology, but I experience it. And, and sometimes that's true with God. I may not understand everything, but I can experience the presence of God. I can't explain it to you, uh, but I do believe that the more that I seek Him, the more I begin to understand. And the more that I begin to understand, the more I experience His presence. And I believe that that is true with His kingdom as well. The more you seek, the more you're going to be able to understand. Amen? Amen. Uh, seeking him was number one. And, and I'm going to skip over uh, uh, the kingdom of God first because I, I'm going to get to that in a minute. I want to focus what he says and live righteously, or says, you know, and his righteousness. How many of you realize number, oh, so that's number two, live righteously. Do you realize God cares how we live? Do you agree, agree with that? God cares how we lead. And, and I'm going to get real here for a moment because uh, my Christ-like guys, I shared some of these verses with you on Wednesday. I do the Bible study on Wednesday morning. And I don't know which one of you guys said, man, this is getting heavy, right? How many of you guys remember that? <laughs> it kind of cracked me up, but it's true, right? So uh, I'm going to get heavy with you. They, got, they already experienced this. So, uh, uh, but I want to tell you, like when you're on an airplane flight, and all of a sudden they're about to hit turbulence, what do they tell you to do? Buckle up, right? So I'm just going to tell you over these next few verses, uh, buckle up because we're about to hit some turbulence here. And, uh, but I want to tell you, we're going to end on a positive note, okay? I didn't give them a warning. We just jumped in. But uh, 1 John 1, 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. How many of you realize there's a lot of people in our world, oh, I love God, I serve God all the time, and yet they're walking in disobedience to what God says. Guess what? They're lying to themselves. You're lying to yourselves. Uh, I know. I hope you're buckled up, right? Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. If we deliberately continue sinning, there's that key word deliberately. If I'm deliberately doing what I want to do, I'm just doing me. You do you, you, I'll do me. I'm going to serve Christ my way. Anybody ever hear that? I'm just going to serve Jesus my way. Uh, no, we don't get the choice to do that. So if I'm deliberately sinning after I have already received the knowledge of truth, he says there is no longer a sacrifice that will cover your sin. I know, how, right? 
You're buckled up, so you're okay, right? So y'all are hanging on. Here's the thing. How is that possible to, to no longer... And doesn't the blood of Christ cover all of our sin? Let me just say, all repented sin. It's a, so if I'm deliberately walking the other way, repentance means to turn around and go the other way. I'm not repenting. I'm just deliberately walking in my direction. I have to repent and come back to him. So that's where the sacrifice is. And look what he says in verse uh, 27. There is only, this is fun, there is only terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. Ouch, right? (laughs) All right, let's jump into Romans. Uh, Just keep buckling. It's going to end on a good note, I promise you. Uh, Romans 2, 4, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? How many of you are thankful that God's patient? Right? You may have worn out everybody else's nerve in your life, and they're done with you, but can I tell you, God is still patient with you. Amen? Isn't that good news? And he goes, does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you away from your sin? so that I don't keep deliberately walking this way. He's trying to be kind and patient. And uh, so it says in verse 5, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. (sighs) Ouch. Okay. Everybody take a breath. Okay. Verse 7 This is a breather one. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Amen. And then there's that word seeking again. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. That's a good thing. Okay, let's jump back into the harsh part. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Isn't that another way of saying selfish ambition? If you're living for yourself, that's selfish ambition. Those who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. Okay, here's the good part, verse 10. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. Amen. Amen. Can I just say, this is a fill in your note, God cares how we live. It really does make a difference. And sometimes people think, well, why does it make such a big difference? What, you know, if God loves me and he died on the cross for me, what does it matter how I live my life? Uh, let's go back to the beginning. We realize sin itself separated us from God. And as a parent, let me tell you, if there was something that separated my kids from me, I would not like whatever that was. God doesn't like the fact that he was separated. He created us. He loves us. He created Adam and he he had a beautiful relationship and then sin severed it. Sin severed all of humanity away from God. And God says, listen, I love them so much. I'm going to send my son to pay the penalty for the sin they deserve, the death, the punishment that they deserve. And so he sent the highest sacrifice possible to take on our punishment. And now he's still loving and kind with us. He wants us to be with him. And every time sin comes up in our life and we start deliberately walking away, it breaks God's heart. God's not up there, oh, I can't believe them. I'm just angry with him. No, it breaks God's heart. And he, that's why it matters. That, you realize Christianity, it's not about behavior modification. Oh, you better act right. You better do the right thing. Oh, that's not very Christian of you. 
Uh, I know you've never heard that. Uh, Christianity, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. However, let me say, there are things as a believer we do and some things we don't do. Does that make sense? It's like you do, there are th- expectations there, but our actions have to come out of a heart that is dedicated and committed to God. Like the reason, you know, like you even want to please your parents, right? Even if your parents were, were turkeys, right? There's still something on the inside of you that wants to please your parents, right? And I'm not saying my mom and dad are watching. I'm not saying you guys were turkeys. So, uh, uh, but I'm just saying you still want to please your parents. And I want to please God with my life because I realize how much he did for me that I want my life to be pleasing to him. I don't do it because, oh no, I better do the right thing or else hellfire and brimstone are going to come pouring on my head. No, it's because God loves me because I have a relationship with him that even when sinful thoughts enter into my mind, I'm like, there's the, the Holy Spirit on the inside says, no, you don't need to go down that road. Because it's just a trap and it's going to get you stuck back in the old way of where you were. And so I choose not to do the wrong things most of the time so that uh, I will please God. And if I do, thank God for 1 John 1, 9. If we, if we sin, we can confess and he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Uh, because he loves me. I want to give you one example. I know I'm going through fast, but I want to make sure I get everything. I want to give you one example of rule followers that missed the point. They did the right things, but they didn't have a relationship with God like they were supposed to. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. Anybody surprised by that? He goes, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? You know what that sorrow is? The sorrow is that they think that they're right, and they're only going to face God's wrath. That's not good. That's more than sorrow. But he says, what sorrow awaits you? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. Now, is that the right thing to do? Yeah, the tithing is a good thing. That's a, it's a principle in God's kingdom that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get, I talked about this last week. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back. And you're like, ooh, I don't want to talk, go back. That's talking about money. But he tells them, you're doing that. But then what does he say? You ignore justice and the love of God. That's, you know, if you look at that, what is the love of God? It's agape love. You're ignoring God's unconditional love for you. You know what that means is that they don't have a relationship with God. They're just following all the rules. And, and he tells them, you should tithe. Yeah, you're doing the right thing in that aspect, but don't neglect the more important things. How many of you know having a relationship with God is more important than doing all the right things? Because sometimes we get it reversed. We want to do the right things and hope to get the love of God. But the reality is that God loves us already. Therefore, my actions demonstrate that. And I, my actions begin to get in line with him. Amen? Does that make sense? So you can do all the right things and, and, and miss heaven. You realize that? You've got to actually be in a relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, let's move to the next point. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. It's got to be priority number one. And here's the thing. You realize when I say seek God's kingdom or put God's kingdom first, that can be very ambiguous, can't it? Like anybody can define what that means. Well, what does that mean? That's just so, that's so weird. I'll, I'll, no, this is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. Give Pastor Scott the keys to your car. That's seeking the kingdom of God. No. How many of you know there's weird people that have come up with weird theologies and they're like, well, this is what it means. No, no, no. We have to hear from Jesus. What does it mean to seek? He's the one telling us that, right? 
And in the scripture, uh, we have recorded 43 different parables that Jesus told throughout the scripture. And do you realize of those 43, 14 of them were about the kingdom of heaven? Where Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And he would try to explain that. That's basically a third of the parables that Jesus told were trying to get people to wrap their minds and understand what the kingdom of heaven was like. Because it's so foreign to us, am I right? It's, it's so completely different to us. And have you ever asked your question, Jesus, why would you dedicate one-third of the stories you told to trying to get us to understand and grasp what heaven is like? Follow me on this. How many of you realize when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you have now become a citizen of heaven? That's what the scripture, like, like you get a different passport. You get a passport that says heaven is your home and it's stamped with the blood of Jesus, right? You got a new residence. You got a new loyalty there. Now here's the problem with that. I may have a passport that says I'm a citizen of heaven, but if I don't understand that kingdom and I still operate in this kingdom and the rules and the principles here, uh, how many of you know I have limited myself? Right? Oh, well, you know what? This can't be done. That's not supposed to happen. How many times did Jesus say, listen, with man, that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Basically what he's saying, listen, earthly kingdom, yep, that's not going to happen. When people say, hey, miracles don't happen. uh, Yeah, not according to, not on earth, but they do in heaven. Right? How many of you know miracles are common in heaven? Right? And so, so he's trying to teach us that so that we can begin to learn and understand the customs of heaven and our citizenship that is in heaven instead of living in the limitations of this world, of what you can and, and can't do. And I believe this, the more you understand your new home about the kingdom of heaven, you're going to find, man, that is so, so far superior, amen? So uh, let me show you something that Jesus told Peter. Here's the thing, when Peter understood just one aspect of the kingdom of heaven. He said this, it's in Matthew 16. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? So, so Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples and they're like, who do people say I am? And he's like, oh, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. And so Jesus is like, wait a minute, I'm not worried about other people. He says, who do you say I am? And I love Simon Peter's answer. He goes, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He made a bold statement there. And you may not think it was, but that is a kingdom truth right there. That statement right there is a kingdom truth. Why do we know it's a kingdom truth? Because even though other people hear that, they don't believe that. They don't believe it. What what does he go on to say? Uh, Because I believe this is how we know it's a kingdom. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. You didn't learn this from the principles of this earth. Somebody could have told you that, but just because they told you that doesn't mean you believe it. The reason you believe it is because God supernaturally revealed that to you. And that's a kingdom principle right there. You hear all of us that have accepted Christ, you're watching online. If you've accepted Christ as your savior, you didn't just come to that conclusion on your own. God opened your heart, whether somebody preaching to you, whether you opened your Bible, whether you were walking in nature and God revealed himself to you, whatever it is, it is a supernatural kingdom of heaven truth that God opened up your heart so you could receive it. 
right? The scripture says that no man comes to the Father unless what? The Spirit of God draws him in. Now, here's the thing. I believe the Spirit of God is drawing a lot of people. Usually, people resist that, right? Anybody ever fight the Spirit of God drawing you in before, before you finally surrendered? I know I did. It was a battle for a while. But once you do, it's like, that is kingdom. And uh, so I, I, wanted, I want to get an illustration here because after, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So he tells him, you didn't learn this from anyone in heaven. So now he goes on to tell him in verse 18. I want to make this point first. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter, and, and the Greek word of that is Petros. So it means rock also, doesn't it? Some of you guys know that. He goes, and upon this rock, and it's a different word, it says Petra, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now, there's what a lot of people kind of assume uh, wrongly. They say the church is built on Peter. Peter is the foundation of the church. Anybody ever hear that? Right? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, you know what, Peter, we're building it on you, uh, and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. But here's the, here's the reality. I want you to break it down. First of all, Petros, what he called Peter, he basically called him a small topsoil rock. You're gravel. Anybody ever feel like you eat gravel? No, I'm just kidding. So he's, he's basically saying that. But then he goes on, but upon this rock, and that is Petra, that is bedrock. That's what that means right there. Upon, not upon gravel, but upon bedrock, I'm going to build my church and the powers of hell will not... Cancel. Now, if you're building a building, what would you rather build on? Bedrock. Gravel or bedrock? All right, we need something solid. Uh, do you realize Christ is the foundation of the church? Amen. Amen. Not Peter. Peter was Peter was flaky at times, was he not? Aren't you thankful the church is not built on flaky? All right, we need something solid. We we sing this song often. Christ, the stolid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So when you hear somebody say that, it's like, no, no, Peter's not the foundation of the church. Jesus is. So when we're seeing, when he's saying upon this rock, what is he talking about? He's referencing the statement that Peter just made that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? You're the Messiah. Based on that, I'm going to build my church. Amen. Does that make sense? Based on the fact that, that he is the one, he is the cornerstone. So many references. That's what the church is built on. Amen. So here's the thing. Uh, let me continue with this because there's a, a principle unraveling here. Jesus tells Peter, basically, you discovered the one principle that I'm the Messiah. But then he goes on to tell him in verse 19, and I will give you the keys, which is, is that singular or plural? Plural, plural right? So there's more one key to the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the other part in a second. So uh, the first key, and I got several keys on here, uh, the first key to get into the kingdom of heaven is to realize and come to the understanding that Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. Amen? That's key number one. If you don't get that, you don't get access to any other part of his kingdom. Right? That's it. He's the door. He even said that. I am the door. Come my way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There's no other way. If we don't get this, we don't get anything else. Does that make sense? I've got to accept Christ as my Savior. Now, here's the thing. What do keys do? They unlock doors, right? Yeah, you can't get it if it's locked. So he's giving you keys. So he's saying, I'm giving you key. What happens after you unlock the door? You have 
access to anything in there, right? When you, if you come into the building, I've got access to whatever is there. So that is basically what he's telling him. Listen, you got a key, now you have access. That's what he's trying to let him understand and begin to grasp that once we have access, whatever key it is, and there are many keys that are there, we have authority over rulers, we have authority over powers, we have authority over the things of this world, amen? And then he tells them, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And a lot of times people, what, what is that supposed to mean? Well, there are heavenly principles. Remember, we were talking about that. The kingdom operates a different way, and uh, the earth operates a different way. And so when the enemy is ransacking your life or things in this world, we can actually have access to bind the works of the enemy, right? By our words, when you understand the authority you have and the enemy's ransacking, you can come against him in, the, in prayer in Jesus' name, and you could say, you know what, devil? Get, get thee behind me right? Get your hands off my family. Get your hands off our school. Get your hands off our politics, right? I knew I'd hear some amens on that one. Whatever it is, wherever the enemy, we can begin to take authority over that. And then he says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So heaven principles, you can begin to declare God's kingdom. Didn't he say that in the, prayer, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, your will be done. That doesn't mean God is setting up his kingdom here, but I believe we can speak kingdom results on this earth. Amen. right? We don't get to experience the full kingdom until we go with him, but I believe that we can access the principles of kingdom as we begin to understand it. And let me say, it's not just knowledge. Oh yeah, well I know this and I know that. How many of you believe that, that Jesus heals today? All right. And, and now here's the thing. A lot of people can say that and, and believe that, but do you realize healing is actually one of the keys? Does that make sense? It's not enough just to know it. It's like you got to unlock it and have access to that and realize God really does heal. Right? It's not some like, oh yeah, that's the churchy thing to say, God heals. No, he really does. And so uh, I asked Christina to come up because God did a miracle in her life this week. And, uh, and I'd like her to just to share uh, a little bit of what happened. So uh, if this microphone is on, I think it is because I started echoing. All right. So for those of you that might not know much of my testimony, um, I come from a very dysfunctional Christian home. <laughs> um, and that dysfunction led me to being married to my first husband, who was an abusive man and... Um, we had a domestic violence incident, and um, ever since that, I've had a bulging disc in my back due to that incident, and that was 19 years ago, and it just, it tends to flare up every six months or so, and it's just this continual reminder of this thing that just happened to me so long ago, and I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, I don't want this anymore, God, I don't want this anymore, but I also feel like that because of my history, one of the things I've really struggled with is to just really feel... <laughs> the love of God. I know he loves me. I know it in my head. And I know that he does good things for his children. And I can look back at my life and I can see so many times where God has protected me. He has taken care of me. He has provided for me. But I have struggled to just feel the love of God. And that has been my my cry for like the last two years, just God heal that emotional part of me. That verse in Ezekiel that says, take out this stony heart and give me a heart of flesh has been like this repeat prayer that I pray over and over and over again. 
and we got to go to this healing seminar this weekend, and um, I just felt like God was telling me, today's your day, girl. So I went for prayer, and um, I got a touch, and in that touch, I asked for prayer from my back, and I 100% believe that God completely healed me of my back. I have no pain. I've been able to sleep good. I 100% believe that that bulging disc is not there anymore. But the really cool thing is that when I was, when that lady was praying for me, she said, but you know what? God loves you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. And I feel like if it wasn't for the, I feel like he gave me more than just the healed back. I feel like he gave me the outpouring of his love that I could actually feel. And so those things, I am like, I'm still processing everything that happened over the weekend, but God performed a miracle in me. He performed a miracle in in my body, and he performed a miracle in my emotions, and he performed a miracle in my spirit. So I feel like I got like an all-encompassing miracle this weekend. So God is so, so good. Amen. Amen. So what happened is that uh, God, she opened up another door. Right? God opened up another... He gave that key to her. Let me turn this off so I don't echo here. He gave that key to us. So, listen, this is stuff that you have to seek after Him. And uh, Christina and I were talking before service that, uh, you know, and I'm just going to share this testimony, and and some of you guys may have heard it. I think I've shared it before. Uh, But healing doesn't have to happen when somebody's praying for you. Oftentimes, and we're going to have a time where we're going to pray for you later on, uh, but sometimes uh, healing can happen just in a matter of worship, in a time of worship. And when we, uh, when we were pastoring in Chico for there, there was a, a young family there. She had little kids, and she started having seizures uh, out of nowhere. Nobody knew why. Uh, she, they were, she was admitted to De- UC Davis because they couldn't figure out. She would have these uh, seizures. She'd be out, wake up with a horrible migraine that would last like two days sometimes. And so they took her driver's license away. And if you're a parent with little kids, how many of you know that's an issue, <laughs> right? Uh, she couldn't drive, and her husband had to do it while working full time. And, and I remember her last seizure she had, it was right at the end of a service, and she, just, she was out, you know, in between the pews, and we had to move them out of the way and, you know, walk her out. She was debilitated for like two or three days after that. Uh, the next Sunday, they were back in church, and, and I promise you, I mean, they still go to the church there. Uh, there. There was a worship song going. I can't remember what it was, uh, but I just felt this sense that, that God is saying, and her name's Lacey, God is saying, listen, I'm healing Lacey right now. They didn't have any prayer or anything like that, and I just thought, well, that's a weird thought that I had. And uh, Anybody ever feel that when God teaches? Well, where'd that thought come from? Anyway, after service was over, I went over to her and I said, I, I'm just going to tell you this because I felt like God told me that he was healing you through this song. And she's like, her eyes got all big. She goes, I felt like God was doing the same thing through that song. And uh, after that, she hasn't had another seizure since then. Right? And that's been, you know, 10, 10 years ago or something like that. And it was like, that was God. And so what it was, it was a key that happened. As she was just seeking God in worship, God was like, you know what? I'm going to slip this little key in her pocket right now. I'm going to give her access to her healing as she begins to apply that. And I believe, so tonight we're going to have a time of worship. And I know, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, no judgment on anybody, but I'm just saying, listen, the more I seek after him, the more God begins to drop those keys in our pocket. Amen. And the more access that we begin to have. So listen, I'm like, if I, if I need a miracle, I'm going to show up every chance I get. 
right? I want to be in God's presence every opportunity I get because it is that seeking, ongoing process that you never know when God is like, look, I'm about to open a door for him. I'm about to give him a breakthrough in this area. You know, deliverance is one of those keys, isn't it? Right? Uh, all kinds of things. There's so many keys, and I don't even understand them all. As a matter of fact, I've, I've got... Uh, a paper that I put together that all the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven, you know, most of them are in Matthew, a few in Mark, a few in John, some of them are in all three, and they'll be available for you at the end. You can take it and just start reading the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. Allow God to begin to stretch your mind in it, and if there's something that you see, it's like, God, I want to understand this more. I don't want to just understand it up here, but I want to understand it right here. I want God to begin to unlock that door, and, and I'm not going to say, hey, listen, you read them all by next week, you'll have all the keys to the kingdom. Oh, no, it is a process. It is a process. You keep seeking, you keep going, and God is going to open up amazing doors. Amen? So uh, I almost ended my message right there, but I felt like God wanted me to give this last point because uh, in Matthew chapter 6, 33, if you read it from verse 25 to 34, it's basically surrounding and Jesus is saying, don't worry, all right, don't worry. You can read verse 31 through 32. Did I put it up here? I did. He says, so don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your need. Yeah, he already knows. So here's the thing. It dominates your thought. Isn't that true that the things of this world may capture your mind and, and you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it. And what it's doing is slowly taking the compass off of Jesus and on to your problem. And here's the fill in on your notes that I want you to get. You cannot be living worried and seeking the kingdom at the same time. It doesn't work. You can't work. Oh, no. Oh, God, I don't know about this. Oh, I want to seek you. No, you can, you can do one or the other. So you can live your life in worry, or you can live your life seeking the kingdom of God. Let me show you how this plays out. If you have money issues, anybody ever have money issues in the past, now, or whatever? I think all of us at one time or the other. And, and what I found out, when I have money issues, if I focus on that, then all I'm focusing on is how I can fix it. Oh, God, what can I do? Can I get the extra job? How can I cut this? And, and so your mind is going all over the place rather than focusing on him. And I've shared this before, too. When we were pastoring in Chico, listen, we had a preschool. We had a school. We had 20-plus employees that were there. And, and it was going through when times were tight. And there were times that we needed $10,000 to cover payroll the next day, and we didn't have it in the bank. And it was like, oh, it was like, it was eating me away. I don't, too many times I went into the sanctuary all by myself. And I'm like, oh God, you know, I just need to seek after you. I need an answer from you. And I'm just, and I'm seeking him and trying to take my mind off figuring out how we're going to make this. And, and sometimes it was quick. Sometimes it was longer. All of a sudden, God brought peace over my heart. I walked out of the sanctuary. We still needed $10,000. But what I saw God do numerous times is through that day, all of a sudden, this different money would begin to come in. This happened several times. And by the end of the day, I'm like, what was I worried about? God took care of it. So the reality is I got to seek him. If I'm ha what about if you're having health issues in your life? Nobody's ever had those, right? And uh, if, if I start focusing on my health issues, then I'm like, oh, no, you know, uh, what is this going to happen? What, what if this happens? Oh, no. What if I can't do this? What if I die? 
<laughs> no one's ever thought, of, yeah, I heard, what was that? Hallelujah, you're healed, right? Listen, we don't, I, let me just say, we don't have to fear death, right? Because after death comes heaven, amen? amen? We don't have anything to be afraid about, so if we die, we die. You know, Jesus, uh, Paul said, to live as Christ, to die is gain, I'm actually gaining something here. So I don't have to be worried about it. God can heal me. And I share this with the first service as well. Listen, if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, which I still think that he, he is a good possibility, uh, but even if he doesn't, then whatever takes my life at the end, I'm going to die believing God's my healer. I'm going to die standing on his word. I'm going to die believing not what the world says, because the world will say things like, like, you're like, oh man, I got this diagnosis. And then they give you this face like, ooh, that's bad. All right. My aunt Sally died from that. How many of you know what they're doing there is they're talking worldly language. We got to start talking right. heavenly language. Right. Is God your healer? Yes. We sing a song. I believe that you're my healer sometimes. What if you're facing a money situation? What if you're facing a relationship? Oh, I've got to fix this relationship. I've got to fix this relationship. Listen, if we will focus on him, how many of you know, Matthew 6, if I will seek the kingdom, live righteously, then all the things that I really need, God's going to add it to me. If I don't need it, even if I want it, I don't have to worry about it because God's in control, amen? Let me give you this last scripture here because I think it's so powerful because worry, worry gets us all, doesn't it? What does he say in Philippians 4, 6? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then I love this, verse 7, you will experience God's peace. How many of you know God's peace is not like the world's peace? When the world's trying to seek peace, what do they do? They burn incense, sit yoga style, whatever, and hum, hmm, I need peace, Lord. Give me peace, Lord. That doesn't work, right? Let me put on nice bubbling water or something like that. If I do that, I got to go to the bathroom, right? So that doesn't work for me. What we need is God's peace. It is a supernatural key. Do you realize the peace that passes understanding? That's one of the keys to the heaven. And when you get that key, when you seek that and that unlocks, you will have peace no matter what comes your way. Oh, why aren't you freaking out over that? You know what? I got the Prince of Peace in me. Look at what politics. Look who got elected president. You know what? I'm still serving God. He still has the last word. What if this happens? What if we get all of our rights taken away? Listen, my home is in heaven. Whatever this world has to throw at me, I'm not worried about it because I know I've got Jesus, that peace that passes understanding. So I'm just going to ask uh, everybody to stand. And I just want to ask this question because, again, I want to go back. The first key is Jesus. If you've not given your life to Christ or maybe you felt like you've wandered away, listen, the first thing that we got to do is we got to come back to him. Amen. So I'm just going to ask you, can I have everybody bow your head, close your eyes? I'm not going to make you come up. But if you're here today saying, Pastor Scott, I, I, I've left that key down. I put it down somewhere, but I want it back. I declare that Jesus is the Son of God. He is my Savior. He is my Messiah. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to make that fresh declaration. Amen. 
Just tell the Lord in your own words, Lord, you are my Savior. I declare you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And I ask you to come and be a part of my life. Open up that key so that I can begin to have access to that kingdom, Lord God. Your kingdom. Lord, I refuse to live on this side. I refuse to live my life by the dictates of this world. Lord, the world can't tell me what's impossible. Because, Lord, you said what may be impossible with man, Lord, is not impossible. Everything is possible with you. So, Lord, you can open up every door that needs to open. You can open up every window. Lord, you can knock down every wall that there is. But, Lord, I am entering into a time I just want to seek after you. And, Lord, not just this service. Lord, tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Lord, I want my life to be seeking you on a regular basis. Lord, to get into your word, Lord God, to get into times of worship and to, to, to have an understanding of who you are. And as we sing this song, uh, listen, if our prayer team, if you guys can come up, listen, if you need someone to pray with you, we're believing for healing right now. Amen. That's a key. I hope your faith was encouraged with her sharing that. Uh, listen, God wants to drop it in your pocket. He wants to give you a breakthrough in that area. Amen. So listen, if you need prayer, come on up. And, uh, and otherwise, can we just take a few minutes and sing this song? But sing it to the Lord. The more I seek you. I love the words of this. The more I find you. Amen. Amen. So let's just take, let's just take a few minutes.
just seek you. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to, to seek your face, Lord, that we would seek who you are, God, not just what you can do for us, Lord, but really you, your presence. Lord, you are good, and I pray that we would um, just continue to know you better, know you more, Lord. You are good. We thank you. We worship you, Jesus.